Welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bougay, and once again, I am here with Tucker Bougay and Melissa Bougay. Unfortunately, Rachel was not able to join us for this banter because she's on a plane actually on her way here, coming east. Uh, we're going to be presenting together coming up next week. So why I've invited you here to talk today is about something I've been wanting to talk about for quite a long time. Um, in fact, in the early, early days of the Talking With Tech podcast, um, we were listing out potential topics of things to talk about. And one of the topics that I listed, and we never actually got to talk about it, was AAC in uh, literature, AAC in media, and AAC like in the movies and TV, right? Mm -hmm. um, I feel like uh, the television and movies can be a great way to illustrate, or maybe not, um, different uh, different aspects of life, right? Mm -hmm. And so AAC is certainly represented in different movies and TV. And just recently. Uh, maybe the most recent uh, version of this, and maybe the one of the most widespread, is on the TV show The Mandalorian. So we are fans of The Mandalorian. I am fans of Baby Grogu. <laughs> yes. And th I want to say this is a topic we have to handle with um, the utmost respect, right? Yes. Because um, there's people who you actually use AAC. And so uh, Grogu is a character, this little baby, you've probably seen him out there, right? Baby Yoda is what yeah. he's first called before we knew his name. Now we know his name is Grogu. Um, and in one of the most recent episodes of um, the Mandalorian. Spoiler alert here, if you don't want it, the Mandalorian spoiled for you, fast forward 15 minutes to the interview because the rest of this is going to be spoilers for the last two episodes of season three of The Mandalorian. Um, so here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Spoilers. Baby Grogu uses, Baby Yoda or Grogu, uses AAC in the, in the penultimate episode of of the Mandalorian season three. He uh, sure does. Yeah. He gets his point across once yeah. you give him his language. Yeah, right? Amazing. So if you haven't watched the show, Grogu doesn't speak. He makes some, um, I would say, vocalizations, mm -hmm. uh, but he does not speak. Right. Well, in this particular episode, he is given a robot, which, of course, listeners of the podcast will know I was super excited about because I do those sessions about robots and we talk about combining robots and AAC. And I do it at my school. And you do it at your school, <laughs> um, the Robots for Everyone project at your school. But um, so this robot, it comes out and it's sort of a gift to somebody else. Uh, it's a gift to the Mandalorian yeah. and Grogu. And Grogu essentially operates the robot from the inside, uses controllers to to make it walk, to make it move its arms, articulate its arms, articulate its head and speak. Speak. Yes. It seems there are two buttons, a yes button and a no button, and that's very limiting AAC. It is. However, I do want to point out, and I, I'm not sure if you noticed this, Tuck, but I wanted to point out that the Mandalorian and who's the guy that's next to him? You know, I know him as Creed from Rocky. <laughs> But he Car Carl Weathers is the actor. Carl actress, Weathers. <laughs> so when they are standing together, Carl Weathers is one of, is is like the prince or king or something of this land. I'm sorry, I'm not Star Wars y. <laughs> but he was talking to the Mandalorian and the Mandalorian immediately said, He can't do it. He's too young. And he said, Yes he can and immediately <laughs> Grogu said, No, I'm not getting on it. No. Yeah. You know, you let's get him out of there. No. What do you mean? No, 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 no. So he was really showing, I can do this. And the other person, you know, Carl Weathers was saying, no, let him have a spin around my office. And before they could even stop him, he's going, yes, yes. And taking it for a spin. And is it perfect? No, he's bumping into things. He's kind of being sassy a little bit, <laughs> but he had just gotten his voice. And so you have to give them time. Yes, exactly. It was um, a great illustration. Both Carl Weathers and um, Pedro Pascal, yes. their, who plays the Mandal Mandalorian, they're back and forth because Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian, was having limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, he can't do it. He's too young, he says. Yeah. He's not ready for it. Right. Certainly trying to kind of 
stamp it out before even giving him a chance to try it and experience it, right? Um, so yeah, I think that was an excellent point. And then Carl Weathers modeling, no, come on, let, let's see what he can do mm -hmm. and um, making him prove that he can't. And then yep. of course, Grogu proves that he can, mm -hmm. right? What did you think about the voice being uh, just yes or no, uh, only having those two options? I felt that it was, I mean, while it was limiting, uh, Grogu did get his point across most of the time. Like, yeah, I want to go here. No, I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to get out of the suit. Yes, I want to take it for a test drive. You know, and everyone understands that point. And so. yes, I want these treats. And yes, I'm going to take it, mm -hmm. you know. And no, you're not going to take it from me. Yeah, it, it, in the context of what we talk about on the podcast and when we do our presentations, what we often talk about is, well, if you only give somebody two buttons, yes or no, then they'll do the best they can with yes or mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. But I wonder what would what would Grogu do if he had three buttons, four buttons, if he had an access to many more words, how many more words would he say? And we don't know because... We haven't given him the chance, but if he has someone like Carl Weathers on his side, then he'll get that chance, right? I want to say, too, that it reminded me today because I walked through your consideration guide, your ATTs, your AT Teams consideration guide for techno for a you know, for assistive technology. And it was so comprehensive and it was so amazing because we got to walk through and talk about this kid. And I'll tell you, Tuck, it was pretty cool because... Although she's verbal, she really does have a hard time getting out what she's trying to say when she's anxious. Mm -hmm. She primarily uses words and she speaks primarily yes, as her form of expression. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, however, we were, you know, we've all been inspired on our team by the, meaning the mom, us, by um, some of the more interesting podcasts out there that are coming out with these people that are using it, are verbal, but they also use it to help them you know, fill in the blanks when they don't want to talk or they're having those moments. And we recognize that in her. So we went through this consideration guide of listing all of her needs and all of her strengths. It was just the coolest. And what would get, what would meet her needs? Would it just be visuals? Would it be visuals with audio output? Would it be, you know, how many squares do we have? What kind of pictures? It was just an absolutely amazing thing. But what came out of that was seeing how much the team really believed and wanted this child's voice to be heard and find out what she knows. So anyway, so when I was doing that consideration guide and I was thinking about just the belief in that child, when you brought me downstairs and we, Tuck and all, the three of us were watching it, I was thinking to myself, man, I was like Carl Weathers today. Think like, I'm so glad I was like Carl Weathers. I'm so glad I was like, no, this kid can do more. We got to find out. No, we're not going to just settle for visuals. We're going to settle. We're going to, we're not going to settle at all. <laughs> we're going to see what she can do. Yes. So. Love it. Love that sort of belief. And it's setting a good example for kids. Like, yeah, you should be able to push yourself and you should have people supporting you. Yes. Yes. Oh, brilliant. Yes. Okay. There was one other aspect that I wanted to bring up. So the scene cuts and it's it swipes to um, the Mandalorian and Baby Grogu in the. I don't want to call him Baby Grogu. He's just Grogu. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, he was Baby Yoda before he was Grogu. Anyway. The scene cuts to the Mandalorian and Grogu walking through the streets. And as they're walking through the streets, Grogu just keeps pushing, yes, 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 yes. No one's conversing with him. There's not an, an exchange. It's just him exploring his AAC. And I think something we hear quite a bit is when you first give someone AAC, depending on the person, they might start playing with the buttons mm -hmm. and start hitting the buttons. And some people will say, well, they're stimming on it um, and they're not using it uh, functionally. And I, you, you can't see me, but I'm making air quotes. And what I like to say is, well, how do you know that right. they're not using it uh, purposefully? Mm -hmm. And Certainly, that's that's exactly what I would do if I was given a tool and I didn't know how to use it. I would start playing with mm -hmm. it, and that's it was such a great example of Grogu saying, "Here's this new technology. I'm going to play with it." Right, and it wasn't perfect at first. Like you said, he's walking around, knocking knocking over things. He doesn't know how to uh, control the strength of the robot, and he squeezes a, um, a melon and, and smashes it by accident. Um, but the fact is that he played with it. 
and he eventually started to figure it out. Well, and to bring Tucker's point back home, it's he was he only had two buttons, but he got his point across. So I saw it's funny that you say that, but I don't know about you, Tuck, but I saw when he was pressing yes, 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 like every step step he took, every time he was walking, he was like, yes, yes, I'm out here. I love this. You yeah. know, like I saw it as excitement. Yeah, How'd like, you see I, it? I, I also saw it as excitement. Like, yeah, I have the ability to talk and I have the ability to move fast and I have the ability to actually participate in more and less limiting stuff. Yes, I um, am oh. playing with this new ability that I have, and I'm exploring yeah. it, and I'm excited about it, right? Yes. Don't squash that. Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> yes. I love it. Such great, such, ugh, Yes. Perfect. Now, there is one last little thing. So at the end of this sequence, um, he does pick up this, uh, this melon, and the Mandalorian reaches for it, says, no, you can't have that, and he reaches away, yes. and and the Mandalorian sort of, it's like a comedic moment where he's reaching for it, mm -hmm. and what does Grogu say? Grogu says, no, yeah. no, no, which is an ex a, such an exceptional uh, example of protesting, mm -hmm. right? I don't want you to take my thing. Yep. This is my thing. Leave me alone. <laughs> yes, and I haven't had I haven't had the power to tell you no before, but I've wanted to, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? In a way that you wouldn't necessarily understand. Right. Because certainly um, there might be other ways that people would express that and people would say, oh, that's a negative behavior. Crying, hitting, pulling, mm -hmm. biting. These are things that happen. But now given the voice, oh, I'm saying no, right. this is mine, don't take it. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. Love that. Awesome. So I think that show and that moment in that show was a fun way to learn about AAC and it was just um, really a great way to make connections to uh, some of the learning that we do and some of the teaching we do around AAC. And also that model yeah. of be that person. Yeah, the role right? model of being Grief Karga, which is uh, Carl Weathers' character, and not Pedro Pascal and the Mandalorian. Yeah. Empower and not uh, take away. Love that. Yes. 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 Um, all right. On to the interview today. So the interview that you're about to hear is with um, Darla Ashton, who works out in Indiana. And so without further ado, let's listen to my interview with Darla Ashton. We'd like to thank all of the wonderful Patreon supporters who make this show possible. This podcast is funded by listeners just like you who've signed up at patreon.com backslash talking with tech to show their support. Because of the generosity of our amazing Patreon community, we're able to pay Luke and Michaela, our podcast producer and audio engineer, who keep the show looking and sounding great. Patreon supporters also receive bonus content, such as early access to interviews, behind the scenes recordings, additional curated resources and materials, and so much more. Check it out at patreon.com backslash talking with tech. Now let's head back into the episode. Welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bougay, and I'm here with Darla Ashton, a veteran to the Talking With Tech podcast, <laughs> right? You've been on the podcast before, but not in an episode like this, right? You've been part of a, a spur of the moment. We were at um, the Patents Conference that one year together. We were doing, you know, talking about robots, and it was like you and three other people showed up to that session. I was like, why well, don't I record it? And then we just had this conversation. So you've been on the podcast before. Is that all true? It is totally true. And it was like the biggest thrill. I remember I got on my phone and texted so many of my SLP friends immediately to say, oh my God, <laughs> guess what is happening right now? Um, so like this is even more thrilling. This is thrilled, uh, you know, a little bit of a planning moment where I can think about what I'm going to say this time. Excellent. Well, yeah, I mean, that that episode was um, an ensemble cast, right? I mean, Kelly Foner was there and I think was it Brian Franklin? Was there, yeah, I think. Yep. yeah, and there was a couple yeah. others. Um, and we talked about robots today. We're not talking about robots today. We're going to talk about you know stuff that's happening in your neck of the woods when it's uh, with regards to AAC. But before we go any deeper or farther, let's introduce you. Tell, tell the people who are listening right now who you are and what you do. Sure, um, Darla Ashton, I work for a pretty large school district in um, central Indiana. 
Um, my background is in speech language pathology. I got my bachelor's in speech, and then I went on to get my master's in autism and applied behavior analysis. Um, I am a BCBA. And so, you know, I work for the school district. I've been with the school districts for about 20 years now, um, a couple of different districts. The district I'm in now, my role primarily um, is assistive technology coordinator. And I also wear kind of a, you know, kind of have a dual role of um, working on what we call the behavior team. So sometimes I'll put my behavior hat on and go out and do some coaching and consultation with teams that are kind of struggling with student behavior. And as you can imagine, those two things often um, are, are blending and braiding a lot together. Well, for sure. I mean, that's something we've known for a long time, that if you can increase somebody's language abilities, then the uh, the way they might be communicating in a way that is less effective and less uh, fun for everybody involved uh, goes down, right? I mean, so- Absolutely. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, it's eight times out of 10, this, <laughs> the conclusion of the conversation is behavior is happening because there's some sort of communication breakdown. So it's almost always going back to communication. So uh, you say you wear these different hats. Let's talk a little bit about your experiences with AAC. So, I mean, we could start, we could talk, we could talk about anything about selection, implementation, what's going on in your neck of the woods and what's on your mind. Right. So this is, this is my 10th year in this role in this school district. And I will say that when I came here, my school district was um, breaking up from a co-op model. So, um, you know, I was hired to kind of, the, the early conversations were about sort of revamping how we looked at assistive technology in general, as far as what, what do avals look like? When do we have to avow? How are we going to make decisions about what type of system to give a student? Um, and so when I got here, we did not have very many um, AAC systems in place. And again, if you think about 10 years ago, there, there still weren't a ton of options available as far as, um, you know, if you're thinking about iPad apps, which is kind of where we're mostly living right now. Um, so, you know, over 10 years, it's been so exciting to see this progression of um, the different languages and systems that are out now and how accessible everything is, how mainstream everything is. Um, we've just come a far way. And, you know, I was looking at my numbers today, kind of preparing for this to see, thinking back that first year I got here, we had about five AAC users in our district, um, in a district of about 16,000 students. And um, as of today, we're we're at about 65. So lots of growth and um, just really exciting to be a part of that. You know, it's great to hear you say that. And that it's, it's great for me. I just, let's be, I'm going to be really transparent and personal with you for a second, because sometimes I get uh, down about how it's not going fast enough, right? But 10 years, like in 10 years, the amount of change that has happened when you reflect back where we were in 2013 to where we are in 2023, we have grown so fast. There's so many more people knowing about AAC, talking about AAC, learning about AAC. More people have access to it than ever before. Um, you know, it's just, you know, when you and I both work in a, in a, in a school district that is, you know, a large school district, sometimes it can be like, how come it's not moving faster? You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, well, okay, well, it is moving. It is moving. It's just, uh, um, and it <laughs> is moving pretty fast, you know? So it's good to hear that perspective. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I think about those early days. I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day about um actually like in my district we've started we've we've recently started like a small AAC cohort group um where anybody who kind of wants to join that group we're just voluntarily meeting after school once a month to kind of push ourselves um sort of to the next level with our implementation. And we <laughs> were saying in the last meeting we we're having this conversation about I cringe when I think about 10 years ago and some of the practices I was doing with AAC. But on the other hand, I was just getting my feet wet. I was just starting off. And um, you kind of have to celebrate the fact that, you know, I know better now or what I know now and and the research that, you know, has has happened since then. Um, it, you know, you can't it, it's good to remember those times because I'm, I'm working with some people who are brand new to AAC right now and just remembering its baby steps and you've got to crawl before you run. And, but once, you know, once you kind of start taking off with it, it's just, it explodes. Um, and that's so fun to see it, a new teacher, somebody starting off with it and just, you know, taking those baby steps. And then, you know, the next week you might get a phone call and all of a sudden they've got all this momentum going, which is just so awesome. 
yeah, you're really, we are both in an opportunity where we can really open the door for people that had not, that didn't even know there was a door, you know, yeah, we show them yeah. the door, we'll show them how to walk through it. And suddenly they're like, oh my gosh, there's a whole, eh, door's not the right word. It's like a spaceship to another planet. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, oh my gosh, there's a, I could do so much differently and I have the technology that'll support me and a person that'll support me like you, you know? Um, so let me ask, let's let's talk to darla from 2013 okay <laughs> I, I certainly remember having like an epiphany moment where i was like i am doing this wrong you know so you said there's these sort of cringe you reflect back to to that darla 2013 sure. what are some of those practices that that you used to do and now you you're like now i know better i've stopped doing that i do this instead yeah I mean, I, I think the number one, the number one thing that was really holding my practice back and, and those teams that I was working with was this notion of number one, having a kid have to prove to you that they were a potential AAC user. Um, and number two, <laughs> giving such a limited amount of words and those not being core words to a student um, to even start beginning to communicate with. I mean, talking about shooting yourself in the foot, you don't have a chance if, you know, I, I just think about like the 10 words that I would start off with and those 10 words weren't even good words to start off with. So just knowing what I know now, how differently um, those 10 words would have even looked. Um, but again, like, and, and you know, I, I completely remember the moment where things started to switch for me. I was at the patents conference, which um, just for your listeners, if anybody can get themselves to Indiana to attend that patents conference, it is fantastic. Um, but I had, I was, I was going to a lot of AAC sessions that day. I had a friend with me that was an SLP from my district and we came to your session and you were just really pounding on that aided language stimulation. Um, and that, I mean, that just, that was such a shift for us. Um, and then to come back and really start talking about that, um, with everybody else around us, it just, it completely changes the way you handle AAC in a classroom and, the results come so much faster and you feel so much more successful. Um, and so, you know, that, that was definitely one of those big turning points for, for me. And I think for other people in our district. Wow. That is awesome. So what are some of the steps you took? Like you left the conference and you're like, we're going to do some things differently. What were yeah. some of those things? I remember I came back and offered a, you know, a training. I sometimes will offer just voluntary trainings after school for people to come to. Um, and in that training, we showed your aided language stimulation video, which is like such a great, you know, example um, of, of what, you know, the definition of that. Um, and we talked about changing our mindset from not handing over the devices to the kids and seeing what they could do with it but instead using it as the teacher device, as the teacher tool um, to teach language to kids. And, you know, we really hounded on that, that point of you're using an, a different language in this classroom. Now you have to speak it. It's like, a you know, learning a foreign language. You have to speak it and immerse these kids in it in order for them to learn that language. So let's completely take off the table that this kid's even going to use it. Let's forget about the fact that, you know, we don't know yet if they're going to use their finger to hit it or if they're going to throw the iPad or, you know, what whatever's going to happen with it. Let's instead put it in the classroom and hand it to the teacher and say, here's your tool to communicate and teach kids. And this is the language you're going to use to teach these, you know, these skills and these IEP goals. Um, and we're, we're not... You know, it's just, I think it's giving teachers permission to not have to have the kids even do anything with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then so, naturally it changes. So did, um, did that mean you got some sort of funding for tools or what did the tools look like? Cause now what you're really talking about is the, the educator in the room having something to teach with. Um, so did that start with low tech boards or you're like, no, we're going to get a couple of iPads with an app. What did that look like? Right. We went high tech pretty quickly. Um, when I came to my district, we had a handful. Every SLP was was given two iPads through a grant that had been um, written. And, and, and with those two iPads, they each got a copy of Touch Chat, which at the time, LAMP wasn't, you know, didn't exist. Um, Proloquot, you know, there were a few things out there, but LAMP is what they had decided to kind of go with, or I'm sorry, Touch Chat. Um, so, I think that's kind of where we started, where people had these modeling devices and they were trying things out. And when they kind of picked up some success with the kid, then we would order an iPad and order an app to go with it. 
Lamp came out pretty shortly after that, I think within two or three years. So that's where things got interesting um, because that really sparked a debate um, and, and choice, right? Like, okay, which system are we going with? Which language are you going to go with? And touch chat had been kind of what some people had started with. Although I will tell you at the time, there were probably only three or four SLPs that felt super comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this whole, you know, people were familiar with LAMP. They were familiar with what that motor plan looked like. Um, so now that it was available on an app, we had this other group of people that really wanted to kind of switch gears and just start using that. Um, and that was, I, I, we probably went through a year or two of real investigation. Um, my, my theory has always been, don't tell people what they have to use let them use what they are going to be the most successful with. Um, And if I had a teacher come to me wanting to try something and they really wanted to start with LAMP because in their mind that was going to be more successful, I guess I should say, like, I hope this isn't too controversial to say, but I don't sometimes think it really matters which, which app you choose for a kid. I think what really matters is the confidence level of the adult that is going to use it to speak to the kid. And so if I had an adult that was super comfortable with LAMP, that's what I wanted to give them because that's where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. Yeah, you well, I don't, I don't know that that's very controversial, Carla, not in 2023. There might be some people screaming at us right now and, and yelling in their cars <laughs> as they're listening to us. But I think, you know, we, and I do want to kind of dig into the assessment practices uh, in, sure. in a second, though how your AT evaluations have evolved. But let's just talk about this point for a second, because it, Rachel and I have said this on the pad, podcast for many years now, that uh, choosing the perfect app that don't, that nobody uses is not the perfect app. Right. Yeah. So I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go as far as say it doesn't matter, but I'd say it doesn't matter as much as we think it matters. The one we can support well, will much more likely be better off for the user. Right. With, the, with that, I, with that said, there are some that this will be better than that for particular students. Right. Right. Um, and, and maybe that is where that assessment comes in to help figure out like, okay, well, we know this is not going to work. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, exactly like that. And, you know, naturally something, something really organic started to happen though, um, in that everybody just started kind of using LAMP as their first language stop. So again, that wasn't something that was mandated um, or that anybody was limited to. It was very much, what do you want to start with? But what we saw happening was we started sending more and more people gradually to some of those LAMP trainings. Um, and, you know, they would come back very excited, um, as any, you know, you come back from any training and you feel definitely invigorated and ready to go out and, um, serve the world. And, but what we found was our early childhood population of therapists and teachers got really comfortable with LAMP. So they were starting kids off with it. So then naturally, as those kids are trickling up to the upper grades, you're inheriting those kids that have started with LAMP. So then you get your elementary group kind of on board with it because that's what they're primarily using and they get the most comfortable with. So then when they are getting kids referred, that's what they are starting with. Um, So, I mean, we definitely have a mix in our district. Right now we're at 47 LAMP users, four Proloquo users, two SNAP uh, core and 12 touch chat. Um, so you definitely, I mean, we're always going to have these groups of kids where we've made some different decisions for very specific reasons. Um, but I also think like, I mean, what, what, what was the first, what was the first system that you felt really comfortable with? Well, the unity system, okay. which is of course the, the, the sibling of lamp. So, right. you know, they're based on the same principles and the same layouts, but yeah, that's the, that's the one that I sort of, um, didn't understand at first. And then when I understood it, I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. You know, yeah, you need, uh, you, you know what, you need to do a whole other episode. The last time I heard you speak, you, <laughs> you were explaining to people that you need to put on your eighties hat to understand um, the motor planning. And that, that was so interesting to me. And I came back and, and shared that with a couple of people. And it was just that they found that very helpful and entertaining. You should. Right. Oh, Right, because you would come to it was the Access to Ed conference, and everyone was in the room. Like the room was <laughs> filling up, and there was maybe ten minutes before the we 
like before the actual thing was supposed to start. And I was like, well, we're all here. Let's use the time. Who wants to learn lamp? Right. Yeah. Um, and talked about some of the pictures. Yeah. I should, I should do a, a whole thing on it, but I, I here on the podcast, we try to be agnostic. Do you know sure. what I mean? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, the, um, but that, that particular unity and lamp needs a little ex more explanation than touch chat or snap close pork first, or yes. any of the ones that are more one-to-one, -one. there is a little bit of a, uh, a once you learn back. it, yeah, it's a little pushback sometimes or a little misunderstanding, but yeah, well, yeah, we could talk about that forever too. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the reason I ask you that question, like I think like the first system that I was exposed to was Proloquo. And I feel like it just takes a little bit of practice and a little bit of comfortability on one system before like, you know, I, I feel like for a couple of years, people around the district would be like, oh my God, how do you know how to use all the, and I'm like, cause you just learn to use one really well. And the second you learn one really well, the rest of them are so much easier and intuitive to learn and to put into use. Um, mm -hmm. It just takes time and a little bit of confidence. And that's, I guess that's where I would say, I feel like we're at it as a district right now. I feel like everybody's first stop is LAMP. Um, and it's definitely something that we are using more as a whole language model in classrooms. Um, even with kids that are not, you know, your your typical AAC users or AAC users at all. Um, but but because they know that system so well, it makes it easier to figure out pretty quickly why it might not be a good system for certain kids and what else, what other features they need for it to be successful. And then that makes it a lot easier to make a different choice and to, and to dig right in. Mm -hmm. uh, well, for instance, can you just throw out what's an example of like, well, I knew this wouldn't be a good system because X. Sure. Um, okay. Here's an example. I had a kid about 10 years ago. Well, it's probably been, yeah, eight or eight or nine years ago that we started off. Um, again, he went into a classroom at that time. They were most comfortable with touch chat. So that's how they started him off. He rocked it. He is one of our, our most fluid AAC users um, that I've ever worked with. And when he got to be at about he got to be at about the fifth grade level. Um, two things happened. He had a younger sister that came to us into kindergarten. And at that point, everybody was gung-ho starting with lamp. And so that was a conversation to have like, look, is this the smart thing to do to start a kid on lamp? Because we're a little more comfortable with it right now, but he has a sibling at home that's speaking this language. Why would we not go with touch chat with this kid? Right. Um, and, you know, so that, that, that was one of those those times where you know you, you made the decision that way. That kid that was so proficient, he gets ready to go to middle school. And I remember I went out to meet with his incoming middle school teacher who was pretty familiar with LAMP and comfortable. Um, and she, you know, she said to me, Oh, Darla, I know, I know I'm getting this kid that's using touch chat, but I'm just gonna let you know right now I'm gonna switch to LAMP. And I said, okay, you know, you put your coaching hat on where the, the sirens and the alarms are going off inside your head. Right. Um, well, okay, talk me through that. You know, what's your thought process? And, oh, I'm just so much better with LAMP. And I've been to the training, so I know it's a better, I know it's better, right? Uh -huh, like this uh -huh. is this is the, the better way to go. This is what's going to be best for them. That and is the, said, uh, okay. the spotlight uh, yeah. shining on them rather than the spotlight shining on the individual <laughs> right. learner, right? Yeah. Um, and I know, I mean, I know like this kid is rocking his touch chat. Like I know once she, you got to see it to believe it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, do me a favor. I didn't want to shut her down. I knew this, you know, I, knew she, I did not want to be the person to say, no, you will not. Yeah. Um, she's the classroom teacher and we've, we've got to make this work. But I said, just do me a favor. Give me two weeks, like give this kid two weeks, let him get in here. Um, let him use what he has been using for six years. And, and then let's sit down and have a conversation. Um, and you know, she did not get back to me. And so I called her back in a couple of weeks and I said, so, you know, how are you feeling about touch chat? And she said, oh, I, I would never take that away from amazing <laughs> on it. Um, you know, so that, that's one of those times where I think you have some preconceptions about what would be best for a kid. Um, and sometimes the hardest thing is to just be patient and wait some things out to see how they shake out. Um, and you know, a, you know, again, that's a teacher. Then later down the road, she had some kids that she would ask for lamp for. And then there was one or two others that came into her room where she said, no, I think the language layout of touch chat is going to be better. And here's why. And, and mm -hmm. wanted to go that route instead. Mm -hmm. That's, that's an awesome story. Uh, and Darla, a couple things, a couple thoughts. One is um, something 
that I've been learning over the last maybe five years with doing the podcasts and meeting so so many AAC users is that when they get older, there's a lot, there are a number of people that use multiple robust systems. Like they'll code switch like French to English, you know, sometimes I'm a touch chat user and sometimes I'm a lamp words for life user. And I know them both, you know, I know, I know we're talking about really young kids here. Right. So we're not, not suggesting we'll teach them both. Right. But know that it's never an option. I mean, it's never not an option to, to have more than one at some, in some stage in their life. Yeah. I mean, that's actually a really timely comment um, for me right now. We have a, we have a student that um, first grader who, who is switching back and forth between some word prediction programs and his lamp system. And that was, you know, that was a whole collaboration, you know, kind of team brainstorm to wrap our heads around. Um, you know, I, I I think some people just get blinders on like, no, he's a lamp kid, take away the word prediction because he's using lamp and we should be teaching. He doesn't know where all these words are yet. So if we go to word prediction, he's not going to learn where, and, and yeah, it's bringing it back to like, we all have multiple tools that we use. And I don't want to use my iPad for everything, but I want to use it for some things. And I, you know, I've got my PC laptop that I use for some things, but I've got a MacBook at home that I like to use for others. Mm-hmm. And this kid is showing us that there are different tools that he likes to use for different purposes. And let's run with what the direction he is showing us he wants to go in um, and not worry so much about the tool that he's using, but what we are teaching him and what his product is. Uh, Darla, I've been really trying to, not, I'm not always successful here, but I've been trying to use the word system to mean all of that stuff. Like there's prime, like uh, someone might primarily use lamp words for life, but they also use the keyboard with word prediction and they also use a pen and paper and they also use sticky notes and they also use, do you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. primary and then there's this other stuff and that is the system, you know? Yeah. Yes. That's your system for how you, how you uh, are learning language and communicate with other people. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if you have any tips um, on, you know, how to kind of how, how to bridge that, because I think, well, this is also, this is also kind of opening up another door of something that we're really trying to dive a little bit deeper into is just writing and reading instruction period with AAC users. Um, I feel like, you know, there are a handful of us who are really ready to take things to the next level with some of these students and, um, you know, just really trying to dive into the research and looking at best practices of, I don't know if you, I don't know if you, I don't know if you encounter this a lot, but I will take here. I'm going to tell you what my newest pet peeve is. Okay. Can't wait. And again, this is talking about like something I would have done five years ago. It's a pet peeve because you made the mistake and now you know better, right? That, yeah, I, it, <laughs> I'm just, I mean, and again, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I know that's I'm me. going down the wrong thought process here, but I can't tell you how many IEPs I have helped create and have seen over the years that have goals about reading sight words, sight word, sight word, sight word, sight word. I don't know if I've ever encountered a reading fluency goal for a student that is an AAC user. Mm-hmm. And that is something that like, it's really bothering me now. Like what in the world, why, <laughs> why are we putting all of our eggs into the basket of sight words? Um, when think about the doors that, you know, think about all the barriers that would go away if we were spending that much time and drilling on fluency instead of sight word memorization recognition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, let me well, yeah. Darla, let me, let me, ask you this um if i heard you correctly the way lamp emerged in your area and sort of overtook touch chat in in your area was organically there was no sort of um Absolutely. you know uh plan or anybody like because um oh, if you l- listen to the podcast over the last couple of years there's a number of interviews where people maybe have contacted me and we've brainstormed together on the podcast you know we've recorded like you and i are right now brainstorming how we're going to um how they'd like to implement some sort of approach but what i'm hearing from your neck of the woods is that it sort of happened organically so here's my question to you do you think this sort of um you and these handful of people that have uh, are having a passion for literacy for AAC users, do you think that too will happen organically or do you think you're going to have to put some sort of plan in place? That's a really good question. Um, I know that it's somewhat happening organically because like I said, we've started this little AAC cohort and that that wasn't because I started it and reached out to people and said, hey, we're going to do this. And, you know, 
come and dance with me. It was people out in classrooms contacting me and saying, hey, I need to know more about literacy instruction. I need to know, you know, what, how, how, how to get this kid to the next level with their AAC use. And I think that's going to be through reading and writing. So what do I do? Um, so that's always good when that happens, right? When a group of people are all kind of like looking at each other, like we're all ready for it and nobody's shoving it down our throats. No one's telling us that we have to do it. It's just something natural that we know is best for kids and is going to make us better educators. So, I mean, I, I hope that this is going to come kind of organically where I feel like, where I feel like it's important in the school systems, you have to have somebody that number one kind of has the time to do the deep dive into the research. Um, you know, that's really difficult to look at a teacher and say, okay, on your own, go and start learning about X, Y, and Z while you are also doing everything else. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so that's where, I mean, that's where I love my job because that, you know, my position is created for that where I can do kind of some deep dive and read some books and then I can get this group together and kind of say, okay, here are some bullet points of some things that I know. Now you guys tell me, how do you apply this in your classroom? How does this apply to your instruction? Mm -hmm. Well, Darla, let me ask. I mean, it seems like, wh how, what's the number we're talking here? How many people are in this group? Uh, well, I, th I think I think we're up to like twenty five now. I honestly, I thought it was going to be five people. I yeah. thought I sent it. You know, I sent the the invite out to a, a group that I knew. You know, at least we're we're having a lot of exposure to AAC users. Um, and I thought initially it would just be the SLPs that would really be on board. But no, I mean, I th I think our last meeting we had between you know somewhere around twenty, and I think the first meeting we had twenty five, and we're just getting ready for our third meeting next week. So. Um, Wow, that's you know, exciting. 25. I was not expecting that yeah. number. I was thought it was like yeah. five or six. So that's amazing. Awesome. No, it's great. And actually, <laughs> we started off with just our, our elementary, you know, we got, so I sometimes I kind of talk myself into like start off small and successful. If we invite everybody, it's, you know, it's going to get hairy and everybody's kind of got a different, you know, middle school literacy looks a lot different than elementary literacy. Um, but our early childhood folks have asked to um, be included. So now they're in on it too. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's cool. And the more brains, <laughs> the more experience in a room together, the better ideas you're going to get. Um, and you, you know, I, the last thing we want to do is give one more teach one more thing to teachers they have to do. Right. Especially like the last few years, it's just been, it's been hard. It's really tough out there right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're, if you're trying to give them opportunities to make their life easier, to make the job better and to make their kids more successful, um, I think that's the heart of educators, right? They they will, and they they will come and they will show up. Um, so, you know, we're, we're trying to keep it really simple. We're just, our, our theme is every month we meet and we talk about one tool, one strategy, um, one thing new that we went out and learned, and one thing we're going to go back and try. Um, and so when you just kind of like pare it down to that, it makes it a little more focused and a little more manageable. Darla, what do you think, it, do you think it's possible for this group to do a book study around, you know, Aaron Erickson and David Copenhaver's uh, Comprehensive Literacy for All? But, yeah, that's, that's what, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my goal. Um, that's the direction I want to go in. Um, so we, we've kind of started talking about, we've got, we've got our, our year planned out what each month is, what, what uh, topic we're going to tackle. And then we've talked about maybe this summer starting, starting, to either add on or, or turn that into more of a book study. Um, so right now we're, you know, we're kind of still reviewing some preliminary info like core words next month. We're going to talk about co-treatment models um, and how to get those therapy. Oh, and that's exciting. Like our OTs have joined too. Like how awesome is that, that our OTs are like, we want in, we're coming. Um, oh, yeah. I just work with the greatest teams. Like they're <laughs> awesome. Well, that is so exciting, right? I mean, uh, you know, we started out this conversation talking a little bit about behaviors, right? Well, it is not sustainable if you think your job is just wrangling behaviors every day. Like you, you will burn yourself out within three years, you know, yeah. uh, if that. So, but if you're like, I'm educating kids and I'm seeing this growth and the growth isn't just less behaviors, it's they're actually learning other abilities like uh, to read and write and communicate and uh, be all, all, all those things and doing it in a fun, engaging um, manner it keeps coming back for more. Like you feel that wind, you know? So it's not yeah. shy. It, I was surprised when you said 25, uh, 
But it's it shouldn't be surprising to me that teachers are like, yeah, I want to learn this because I can re-engineer my environment and really I go home every day telling my family the awesome things that we did rather than, oh my gosh, I avoided <laughs> when things got thrown at me, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And yeah, like I said, they're all, they, they all are coming from such different places too, but I know, you, and you know, you, you've been itinerant, so I think you get this, like when you're itinerant, you get the opportunity to travel around and see all of the good things happening out there. And I don't think some people realize sometimes what they're doing um, would be so helpful and impactful for other people. Like I've had teachers where I've looked at them and said, like, do you know, like what you're doing right now is such good modeling. And I wish I had this videotaped and I could go show. And, and then they say to me like, well, I'm not doing anything. This isn't anything like special. And I'm like, it is. And until like somebody, they else, don't see it because they yeah, can't, they're not in another I, classroom where it's not happening. They just think yes. this is how everybody does it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's also the benefit of being itinerant. You get to, you get to go around and you get to steal everybody else's best ideas. And then you get to go somewhere else and present it and you look like a genius. So I always tell everybody like, I, anything I'm passing on to you is just probably something I saw somebody else do and it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting, you know, creating those opportunities for everybody to get in the room and, and, And being the person that gets to make them showcase what they've got going on. Because when you get a big group of that together and you say, does anybody have a strategy that really works with, um, you know, let's, you know, and if you've got an ELL kid and a multi-language learner in your classroom, what are some strategies that are going to work with that kid? If you're in a big group like that, a lot of people aren't going to speak up or they don't think that what they're doing is really that earth shattering Um, but I get to be the person that says, actually, I saw, you know, I know that, you know, uh, Courtney had a kid that she did, you know, went through this with and Courtney, why don't you share the strategies that you were using? And, um, you get to be that moderator. And I think, I think that's, that's really helpful sometimes to get everybody together and have somebody say, actually, you have done something that you need to share with the group. Oh, for sure. For sure. Recognition that you're, what you're doing, um, that that someone observes it and sees it and knows it for the for what it is um can be really again keep you coming back the next day right yeah yeah um, for sure darla let's go back to that assessment question so again 2013 versus 2023 what you ac aac or in the grand grander scheme since you you wear the at hat you know so not just aac what yeah. does an AT evaluation look like or what does an AAC evaluation look like back in 2013 versus it does now in 2023? Right. So when I came to my district, um, my special education director at the time, again, they were leaving that co-op model, which was a pretty pretty traditional model of there was an AT team that worked for that co-op. They would come out and do a full AT evaluation on anybody that you wanted to get a piece of equipment or a tool into their hands, they would come out, they would sign for the eval. So you're on a 50 day timeline to get that evaluation done. They would come out and teach the student and the, and the um, teacher how to use that tool or piece of equipment. They would leave some sort of data collection system for the teacher to take and they would leave and they come back in six weeks to check in. And then you would have that conference and make the decision. Um, And my special education director, when I came on, said, I really want to rethink how we do that, because I think sometimes six weeks isn't enough. And I think that we need to be looking at looking at a better way to build capacity within those classrooms. So it's not some expert coming in and making the recommendation. Like if this is really going to work, teachers need to feel the power um, of what they're choosing and what they're implementing in their classroom with these kids. So when I came on, we really looked at revamping what that evaluation process looked like. Um, And instead of, you know, jumping right into AT evaluations, it was more looking at trialing different tools and accommodations with students. Um, And again, just kind of figuring out naturally and organically that when you were giving kids tools that worked, you saw IEP goals. You saw that the data collection on those IEP goals were, were increasing, right? Um, you, you know, you saw less behaviors in the classroom. So if you were tracking any sort of behaviors going on, you saw that decrease. There were lots of other ways to show that something was working versus going through an official AT evaluation in a very short amount of time. And really, if we're being honest, you're still kind of guessing if it's going to be a good long-term solution or not. Mm -hmm. Um, so what we kind of, we started to morph into more was, you know, these very intentional trials 
Um, and when teachers felt like they had evidence and data to support that it was something that should be written into that IEP, we would have a revision at that case conference. You would sit down with the team and have a discussion. Is this something that we all agree should be added or not? Um, and that, I mean, in some ways it made things move such so much more faster because you weren't tied to all this paperwork and these timelines and evaluations and waiting for so-and-so to come and do their observation and, um, it gave me a lot of freedom to get out there and just kind of roll and, and build capacity with teachers um, because there wasn't this expert team to come in and teach it. All of a sudden, it was me coming out and working with that teacher, but saying like, here are your choices. You pick what's going to work and you have ownership over this. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen a lot of amazing things come out of it. Like there have been some, some resource teachers, especially in the classroom, when you look at like reading and writing tools that will tell you like AT has completely changed outcomes for so many of their students and that it's just been fantastic to see. Mm -hmm. When you switch in that, in that regard to, to away from that expert model to mm -hmm. this capacity building model. Did you notice any trends? Are there certain things that just, well, now we do this instead of that, you know, is, does anything come to mind? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest trends, and again, this is also sort of happening just with the, with the evolution of tools um, is that so many more UDL tools are being implemented now in the classroom where we're not even specifically talking about AT um, and and it's reaching branching out into kids that are not um, you know don't have indiv individualized education plans that aren't sped identified just for all kids. So when you get a couple of teachers really familiar and comfortable with a built-in tool like text-to-speech or a dictation tool, and they see it work so well with one kid, they want to start using it with all of their kids. Um, and and why not? Right. Right. <laughs> right. Why not? So, that Again, just to see kind of like with our AAC users, you go from having, you know, maybe maybe 10 kids across a district that are using some sort of special software to all of the sudden it is the norm to go into a classroom and see kids using dictation or to see, um, you know, kids using a Bookshare account to access their their audio books. And um, yeah, it just takes off like wildfire. Yeah, it's um, uh, the way I've been trying to characterize that is that many educators, most educators understand multi-tiered systems of support, right? So tier one available to everybody, tier three, this individual student or learner needs this particular thing. But if you look back over the last 25, 30 years, maybe longer, I certainly, uh, over my career, I certainly see it flow. And then you're, what you're saying is very uh, aligns with this. It flows in a direction. Stuff that starts at tier three often flows down and becomes oh, tier yeah. one, right? Yeah. Do you, re you know, you know, one of the things that I think when I reflect back has been one of the biggest um, changes is I remember, and I'm sure you've encountered this, when we when I would talk to people about using speech to text as an accommodation for writing 10 years ago, teachers saying that's cheating. Mm -hmm. How is he going to learn to be a good writer if we're just letting him dictate? And and today everybody's walking around with their phone. Right. And they're speaking into it. And because it's something that they use and has made their life easier, all of a sudden, it's not that bad of an accommodation to give to kids. It's not cheating anymore. Darla, so we're it, all cheaters. <laughs> <laughs> right. But so like what? So what do you think, Chris? Like, like just seeing what's happened even in the last five years, what's going to be what's next? Like, what's going to be the next thing that we're going to talk about in five years and look back and be like, can you believe that that was a barrier at one point in time? Can you believe that we weren't using it? Yeah, I can tell you right now, it's AI. Right. Uh -huh, it's chat uh -huh. GPT and AI that the same conversation we had about, let's see, about spell check. How are they going to learn to spell, you know, yes. the spell check now word prediction. Now, then it was speech to text. It, the list goes on of and it's the com same conversation every time until everyone else adopts it. You know, um, now word prediction is built into your Gmail and your Outlook. Right. No one right. blinks an eye at having word prediction. So same thing here with ChatGPT and, and uh, AI tools. How will they ever write an essay for themselves until everyone starts doing it? And then it'll be like, OK. And the, the thing is, the skill just changes. Right. It's just now a different skill. I still got to put the right prompt into my AI. I still got to edit it and make sure it sounds right. I still got to have some level of personality to it. The AI doesn't have a great sense of personality yet. So there's there's still skills to learn. The skill 
skills just change, you know? Yeah, it's really exciting. That's going to be, I mean, I, and you know, I'm, I'm 42 years old. So I, I can think back to, I, I relate it to this and remember I was, I was of the age in high school where I remember not having a computer and the internet versus having it. So I remember when I was a junior in high school, one of our big um, projects in my junior year class was that you had to write your first like really heavy research paper. Um, And that meant going to the library and checking out books. Oh my God, can you imagine? Like, I can't even, I can't even think back to that today, how I wrote a whole paper on like space travel um, and how I had to read, go sort through so many books to get that information. Um, And then going to college just two years later, and then all of a sudden having, you know, to do research papers. And it was like, no, you just use the internet. You just get on and Google this stuff and you, and, and you still have to synthesize all that information. You have to understand it and read it and put it together in order um, and present it. But why would I waste hours reading through all of those books to pull out the little pieces of information that I needed? So did you? Did you use index cards too? Did you, when you go through the notes, oh, yeah. write oh, them yeah. on index cards, right? And then you'd sort those index cards into piles and you'd yeah. say, okay, this is the the people who are doing space travel. These are the ships that are doing space travel. This is what they traveled to, right? Right. And now you look at like read and write for Google Chrome, you can highlight that stuff and it sorts it for you, but the skill is still the same. You have to get information, make sure it's good, make sure it's cited and put exactly. it in order, you know? Yeah. Just technology I mean, I just makes it you're Right. I think it's going to be one of those things that a few years from now, we're going to look back and shake our heads and be like, why was anybody scared? Why did anybody think that that was going to be a bad thing? Um, and I love, like, I know, like, I feel like you are really out there being really vocal about that right now. And I think that's really great that we have leaders in, in our um, area that are getting out and being so vocal about it ahead of it. And, um, you know, it empowers us that are, are out kind of in the trenches. I've had several conversations about it over the last two weeks. Um, and I think, I've seen so many people, their initial reaction is, oh no, oh, shut it down. How do we shut it down? Um, And just, you know, sharing those good sound bites to get people to stop and really think about it um, and embrace it because it's here. Well, and my hope is that each time one of these things happen, like, okay, we're now we're in the AI chat GPT, but maybe the the amount of time that goes from no shut it down let's not use it to oh how can i use it gets shorter you know mm-hmm. maybe it took a lot longer to get through spell check and grammar check and speech to text but now since we keep having the same conversation over again maybe the time the duration between uh no to yes will will be a lot shorter yeah absolutely. that's my hope Padarla. yeah that yep let's cross our fingers and hope it all shakes out all right, I got one last question for you. Since is the since the theme of our talk together has been sort of your shift in the last 10 years, and you mentioned that you're BCBA, um, how have you seen things shift from, again, 2013 to 2023 in the world of applied behavior analysis and being a BCBA? Yeah, um, it's coming. I, I'll tell you what, I wearing this kind of dual role of SLP, BCBA, that, that was really, it can be really, really challenging. Um, It's one of those things that I really struggle with in the world um, of BCBAs is I think the past resistance to AAC. And when you take your courses to become a BCBA, there's a lot of emphasis on verbal, they call verbal behavior. Right. Um, And, and, you know, that, that drill and drill to get a kid to become verbal with their voice. Um, and that is something that I've always really struggled with and, and has been a struggle when we get students that move back and forth between these ABA centers and the public school system. Um, or you have kids that are, that are still living kind of in both of those worlds, getting some good collaboration, um, and common plan together with the SLP servicing them at that center versus what's happening in the school system. You know, there've, I've I've definitely been in some, I don't want to say fights, I want to say some heated conversations with um, people from the ABA world before um, about the importance of we have to find the fastest and the easiest and the quickest way to give these kids words. And I am not going to sit around and wait for you to get that verbal language going. We are going to give them something now. Um, and that's just 
that's cruel to make them wait. And so that's something that, I mean, it's coming. Like I, I can tell you just within the last five years, our collaborations with some um, area ABA centers is changing where I'm seeing a lot more of those centers earlier on recommend AAC. Um, I'm sure that's coming from, you know, the world of, of SLPs and, and what's happening at the college level um, of education and classes and, and, you know, definitely more SLPs coming out of school, getting their first jobs here and already having some understanding about AAC has helped, I think, substantially. So it's moving in the right direction. It's getting better. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I, I 100% agree with everything you just said there. I've seen, I think back, ooh, geez, seven, eight, well, okay, let's say 10 years ago, the conversations I was having with BCBAs were uh, like, how am I, I knew even then, not to try and fight, right? You just dig your heels in, but uh, people just dig their heels in. We won't go anywhere, but I'm thinking, how am I going to get them to move? And those conversations have certainly dwindled because so much movement has happened. You know, the neurodiversity movement seems to have, um, have helped there. And then people being successful with AAC by having it sooner seems to have been like, yeah, we are seeing some gains here for more people. So yeah, let's maybe make some changes. I, I just, I find I'm in less of those conversations now than I was 10 years ago. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I said, I hope it's getting better. I, last week I was, I was uh, shopping around online because I'm trying to find some new CEU courses to take. I, you know, you have to get 32 credit hours every two years to maintain that BCBA license. Um, and anytime I go shopping for courses, it's again, kind of disheartening because there's nothing to do with AAC. You will only find things that have, you know, courses that have to do with verbal behavior. Um, but also understanding a lot of those BCBA people are not SLPs in nature and have have not had any um, education or classes in AAC. And so that's some, that's kind of a hope that like, um, you know, pretty soon here, somebody starts pumping out um, and bridging, you know, making a bridge between those two worlds and um, showing how some of those ABA techniques can still be used with AAC in place. I know the perfect person. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like yeah. an opportunity, Darla, right? We'll, like they we'll, see. we'll put it on the to-do list. Squeeze so. that in somewhere. <laughs> I need a friend. I might have to pull you guys in with me. Um, all right. Well, Darla, let me, uh, a great way to sum this up and to uh, sort of maybe wrap the interview up is to ask you this question. Um, I like to ask the question at the end of the interview is, what are you sort of questing after right now? What's on your mind lately? What's something that's got you excited and, and um, I don't know, a passion happening or something you're wondering about? What's, uh, you know, you're a curious person that wants to get everything ever since I've known you, I've known you that that, that is the sort of person you are. You're curious about the world. So what is it? What sort of flow? in your boat recently? Yeah, I recently my mind has really kind of been circling around adult services. And I think for so long, I've been living kind of in this place where I'm looking at school age kids. And like I said, the last 10 years has been such a metamorphosis for AAC with our younger users. And now that that first crop of kids that we really hit hard with um, are in high school, and they are getting ready to exit. And so that's kind of new territory for me to start wrapping my head around, okay, what do, you know, what do exiting services look like? How, how are we helping prepare these, these kids when they leave us to go out into the real world? Um, And what, you know, what's that functional communication piece that we're missing? Or what are those employment skills and those social skills um, that maybe we need to be a little more um, purposeful and intensive with um, when, when we reach that secondary age. So I spent lots of years in um, secondary setting and kind of my previous life, I did a lot of high school and middle school services. Um, so it's not, it's not brand new, but it's something that I think when you look at adult services for people with disabilities, it's such, we have so far to go still. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I think the next that's the next frontier I think that we really need to be paying attention to. Well, two two comments there, Darla. One is uh, I was just talking to some people from a school district that are sort of wrestling with this same idea. So it's so it's it's again, it's very timely that you would mention that like, OK, we've taught them language and now they're going to graduate. Um, 
who who in our school in our school division does that fall on? Is it a transition teacher? Is it the SLP? Is it um, the case manager? Is it the next organization that they're going to? How does that passing of a baton happen? And it's sort of like this. Uh, it sort of happens in some cases, but there's not uh, not every case, and it's sort of it, it, there is no like like system for that, right? And I sort of yeah. get it because um, the number of AAC users that were graduating, be able to you know was that has gone up in these last ten years. So there right. isn't a process that it, that really necessarily you know that tracks, you know. So right. I think that that totally makes sense. And then the second is, uh couple of months ago now, I went to a conference here in Arlington. Uh, they put it on called the Impact Voices Conference, where it was a bunch of AAC users got together talking specifically about employment. And it was just like, yeah, okay. Again, it was just, a, 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 I knew this all along, but it was just a great re reminder to me that it's, it's not just about learning language. It's what do you do with it once you've learned language? How about a job? And what is, how does your life work um, afterwards? And so, having some support there and what that looks like makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I think it's a little goal of mine on the podcast. I'm so glad you brought it up is to maybe start even bringing in more conversations about that transition and what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I don't know very many people that are even that knowledgeable about it. Um, and I, so that, you know, that's the, the initial barrier, right? Like, okay, if I want to even know more, if I want, if I want to get more involved with this, who, who am I even going to, to get the information and, and learning about what the current state is and what the next steps are. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I've got, I've got the people in my little world in my school district that I know to reach out to, but what does that look like broader scale? And, um, yeah, it's just something that I don't think we talk a ton about, um, and, I think we just probably all need to be a little more intentional about looking looking towards those exit years. Well, Darla, thank you so much for your time today on the podcast. I know I've really enjoyed it. When I so just listeners behind the scene, Darla and I were emailing back and forth and we're like, what are we gonna talk about? Well, I mean, here's some ideas, but let's just chat, you know. And I'm so glad that we did it organically like this because so much just came out um of our natural conversation. I I totally enjoyed my time with you. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. I mean, that's why that's why spending time with you. You always do this though. Like in all of your presentations, like I, I love that I, I walk into one of your sessions kind of knowing what we're gonna talk about, but I also know that it's just it's going to go in the direction that the audience takes it. And that's um it's just awesome. It's always timely and it's always current. And um I, like what you and Rachel are doing with this podcast is just is just been awesome. It's been such a great resource for so many people. I and I am now going to text like a million SLPs right now to tell them that I'm over uh, finished with this. And they are going to, they were all so excited for me. They like, I'm also meeting with a cohort of um, AT um, uh, people from our, my County. We're starting to kind of meet to collaborate. And they were like, Oh my God, you're going on talking with tech. Um, so I can't re wait to reach out to them and tell them how it went. Well, I'm the one honored to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much, Darla. All, Thanks, all the best. Okay. You too. Thank you so much.